This is Unfilter, episode 353 for March 10th, 2021. Today marks President Biden's 50th day in office, and he's poised to achieve his first major legislative accomplishment, the passage of a nearly $2 trillion COVID-19 relief package. House lawmakers are expected to give it the green light along party lines, just like in the Senate. It's highly unlikely that any House Republicans will vote for the deal. Democrats are hoping the bill will help Americans who are struggling financially to boost the economy on its road to recovery. Hello, friend. Can you feel it? Help is on the way. Everything's different now. (laughs) All right, I have to admit, this one might be a little weird. This is going to be an off-kilter episode, a hair out of square unfiltered, because, uh, well, I might sound a little different. I'm back on my mobile setup, which I haven't been on in ages, and I am recording, broadcasting, streaming live from the woods, off-grid, powered by solar. The whole episode was put together, researched, recorded, and live-streamed using solar energy this week. There's this beautiful, beautiful little spot that I can park the RV in the woods and get great cellular signal and great solar, which is truly, truly one of the two best things when you're mobile. And then you combine it with some decent weather, and it was almost hard to even do a show today. (laughs) You know? The thought crossed my mind, like, just take the week off, but... To tell you the truth, there is kind of a, a, a notable thing today happening, and that is the passing of Joe Biden's biggest legislative achievement yet. And uh, it's being compared already to Obamacare's scale legislation. So it's kind of a big deal as far as as far as the Democrats go, it's potential to impact local economies. So I want to talk about that. But before we get to the stimulus and the money stuff, I want to just update us on the COVID stuff. So this week we have kind of been waiting around for guidance from the CDC to come along and we've been expecting it. We were waiting for it and then it was delayed. In the coming days, the CDC and Biden administration are expected to announce new guidelines for people in the U.S. who have been fully vaccinated. One part that's expected, small groups allowed indoors. Small gatherings in the home, of people, I think you can clearly feel that the risk, the relative risk is so low that you would not have to wear a mask. The announcement was expected tomorrow, but now may be on hold, according to published reports. I mean, everybody's been wondering, well, now that we're vaccinated, what what's going on with the mask? What's going on with the with the social distancing? Um, it's a it's still kind of still everybody playing it safe because there's variants out and Uh, There's still not total certainty on the total effectiveness of the vaccine, if it's going to prevent you from getting it or just make the symptoms not as bad. So it's it was sort of a tap the brakes moment. CDC finally did release their guidelines and not much really changed. CNN was doing a live stream watch along and uh, their doctor came on afterwards and said, uh, you know, not much changes except for now you need to watch out for vax fakers. Let me bring back in Elizabeth Cohen, as well as medical analyst Dr. Jorge Rodriguez. Dr. Rodriguez, um, I just want to get what you think of what we just heard. Well, what I think is this is a good first baby step. And what I heard also from the question that was being asked, everybody is so anxious to just completely go back to 100% normal. This does not say that. So we can't be that anxious and just rush out. But basically, it's going to be very good for families and groups that are vaccinated and have been vaccinated. Let me caution people, as happened with the HIV world, a lot of people may say that they are vaccinated or not just to try to get into groups. So you have to also vet the people that you're going to be with. I know that that's a weird thing to say, but it is Mm. also true. Only if only we had some sort of like vaccine passport or uh, some sort of app on your phone where you could be verified vaxxer. Uh, But Good Morning America says this is why it's important we just don't let our guard down. ABC News contributor Dr. John Brownstein, an epidemiologist at Boston's Children's Hospital. Thanks so much for being with us. We just saw in Elwin's report about possible super spreader events. In addition to that, there's been some criticism this week that people are letting their guard down, whether it's because they've gotten vaccinated or just from sheer exhaustion of this pandemic. Are you concerned about another surge or have we turned the corner here yet? 
Morning, Eva. I mean, I think that I'm optimistic, but we just can't let our guard down. There is data showing that we are plateauing and even increasing in cases across this country. If you look at Texas, which had that winter storm, people came together. Ending mandates now is just not data driven, given what we're seeing with the numbers. And we have this concern of active transmission. It's not where we were in the summer. And so we just can't let our guard down as these vaccines are rolling out so effectively. We still haven't quite covered all the high risk population and we still have variants in play. So now is not the time to take our foot off the gas. You mentioned those states ending the mask mandates. A recent CDC report finds that mask mandates will decrease COVID cases and deaths, while in-person dining was associated with increased COVID cases and deaths. Is, there, is that an indication that some may be moving too fast to reduce these restrictions? It's interesting the focus on dining. There's so many other things we do together as people, but it's such a singular focus on indoor dining. Yeah, generally the CDC report reaffirms what we know, right? Mask adoption can drive transmission down. And we've seen this, mask mandates that are in play, people start wearing masks, communities actually are able to drive down the risk of COVID in their communities. When indoor dining opens up, there's additional cases. So it's more of a dimmer switch. It's not just about fully reopening, but how do we sort of start to reopen to adjust what we're doing and then seeing what it looks like in the cases and hospitalizations and not just go full out. Um, I think that what we're seeing is also is that mask mandates, even if they're gone, people are actually still willing to wear masks. So that's one silver lining that people are really still behind these interventions. Uh, let's talk about the vaccine. Some people are now vaccine shopping, some believing that Johnson & Johnson's one-dose vaccine is somehow inferior to Moderna and Pfizer's. How should we be thinking about these vaccines? You know what, I'll save you the answer. Uh, short version is just get the first one you can. That's always what they say. But it's clear the media wants you to slow down with the uh, life back to normal crap. Stop it. I understand why some folks are saying we've been locked up for a year. We finally got vaccines. A number of the infection rates are going down. Death rates are going down. Hospitalizations are going down. We're done. We got to get out of the house. This has to be the beginning of the end. Speak to those folks for a second before we get to audience questions. So Joshua, I really, truly empathize with the frustration, uh, the anger that many people in this country are facing and, and the, the world for that matter. Uh, I too want to go back to see Broadway shows. I want to go see sporting events. I want to see my Leafs hockey games. I want to do all of these things. I, I want to socialize with my friends and my family in person and I want to do all those things. However, we're just not there yet. I am deeply optimistic that we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer, uh, but we're simply not there yet. We have variants that are out there of the virus. Again, the virus is going to continue mutating as long as we continue to create an environment for it to grow and, and, and mutate. Um, and we, we, yes, we have many excellent vaccines out there, but we haven't vaccinated the majority of the country. Right. We're simply not there yet. I ask people to be patient. We're going to get there. It's a tricky thing because in some ways it feels like the goalpost is always being moved. But the reality is that it's just complicated. You hear this, though, and it, it sounds almost <clears throat> like they're talking down to you a little bit. You know, calm down, calm down. You're not saved yet. We're getting close to saving you, but you're not saved yet. For that, that we need the big package. We need the pork fest stimulus that will save us all. And finally, one year into this bitch, we may finally have something that resembles some kind of stimulus for the people. Sort of. Good Sunday morning. It was on January 1st of last year that the WHO announced the discovery of a mysterious coronavirus-related case of pneumonia in Wuhan, China. We didn't know it at the time, but we were about to experience the worst pandemic in a century. By February 29th, we had the first reported death from COVID-19 in this country. And then on March 10th, a year ago this week, with total U.S. cases still under 1,000, President Trump said this. We're prepared and we're doing a great job with it and it will go away. Just stay calm. We were not prepared. We were not doing a good job. And it still hasn't gone away. The next day is the one that we all remember. That's the day the WHO finally declared COVID a pandemic. It's when Tom Hanks announced that he and his wife, Rita Wilson, had tested positive for the virus. And it's the day after multiple NBA players tested positive that the league shut down. 
Since then, there have been more than 526,000 deaths and more than 29 million cases reported in the United States. Millions have lost jobs, schools have been shuttered, and our entire way of life has been upended. And now, even as the case and death rates have fallen in the past two months, new variants are threatening to produce a fourth wave, while governors are loosening restrictions, prompting fears that spiking the football too early here will lead to a new spike in cases. But President Biden and Democrats are hoping their new $1.9 trillion bill will help blunt the pain of any new surge. And keep this in mind, with this bill, which passed yesterday without any Republican support, we have now thrown $6 trillion in a year at this crisis. $6 trillion. Every time they talk about it, they'll talk about no Republican support. We'll get to that in a moment. This is a, this is a situation that we have, have still remain in. We are still failing to really properly fight this virus. We don't still have rapid testing available to people like school children. We've really, really, really failed on the testing. I'm going to cover that more in overtime. Um, it's pathetic. And so now what we have is this, this really porky stimulus bill, $1.9 trillion. Uh, and it really is being positioned as a big win for Joe. The problem is it's, we're just within 50 days, right? Of Biden's administration and ramming legislation through like this, it basically shatters any notion of the two parties working together a.k.a. unity. And now the push to get President Biden's massive COVID relief bill over the finish line. The $1.9 trillion package now heads back to the House. It could be ready for the president's signature this week. Those $1,400 checks could begin going out by the end of the month. Here's ABC's White House correspondent, Mary Alice Parks. Really no analysis of the fact that uh, they promised $2,000 checks. I don't know how any of that was going to get paid for, but the, the d Democrats were elected on $2,000 stimulus checks and going out the door right away after the election, too. And, and now here we are in March. Tonight, President Joe Biden pushing to get his $1.9 trillion COVID relief package over the finish line. Telling Americans it will make a difference in their lives. It puts us back on the road to recovery. It's going to start almost immediately. The bill extends unemployment benefits set to expire next week. And Americans making under $80,000 a year would receive a direct payment of up to $1,400. But Republicans are adamant the bill is packed with provisions unrelated to COVID relief. This was a liberal wish list of liberal spending. <laughs> and of course, they're not going to give you an analysis of what is in that wish list. But it, you could tell that it must be because Democrats are very pleased with themselves. Some of the moderate Democrats were a little resistant. Democrats are feeling really good this morning. Even former President Obama heaping praise on his former vice president, tweeting last night that the bill helps improve the lives of families across the country. And this is why elections matter. But Democrats pushed this bill through Congress on their own without Republican support, and they barely kept their ranks together. As the bill went through the House and then the Senate, now back through the House, there was an opportunity for Representative Kevin McCarthy to kind of give a, a rant, which you can find on YouTube. There's several editions of of it. But uh, during this longer rant, he actually broke down some of the numbers, which really are kind of hard to get in audio form for you guys. <laughs> so uh, here's Kevin McCarthy covering some of those numbers. At $1.9 trillion in new spending, the so-called American Rescue Plan is the most expensive single bill in American history. Let's put that number in context, Mr. Speaker. So just right there, the fact that it's the most expensive bill in American history. So just that point alone, it would be nice to have seen some some bipartisan work here. Some something that people always talk about is you want to have you want to have good. You want to have a, a distributed amount of power. You want to have shared power. You want to. You want to have the, the government kind of check and balance itself and have there be compromises and you want great legislators to make great compromises. None of that kind of kind of idealism is at play here. It's very much a hard party line and it's everyone on the party votes one way <laughs> and it's the most expensive bill in our history. And it just doesn't seem like it was properly considered. If you put it in today's numbers, World War II cost our government four point eight trillion dollars but if we pass this bill our country's total relief covid relief spending will now total 
$5.5 trillion. The so-called relief bill will end up costing every hardworking taxpayer in America more than $5,000 each. Wait, what? Wait, what, what? Is that what? Show me the money! Yeah, he says that it costs us each $5,000. I have a couple links in the show notes if you're interested. Uh, he says that only 9% of the funding really goes to do much with covid you know, in terms of vaccine um, logistics or, or, or funding for that stuff, really only about 9% of the stimulus bill, the COVID relief bill, goes to fighting COVID. Most of it is a Democrat city bailout, which, you know, I think that was what made this thing, I think that's why this thing was dead while Trump was in office. Um, it was It was never going to happen. It was never going to pass the Senate, but bailing out Democrat cities who insisted on lockdowns. But now, because Nancy Pelosi played the, the long game, she basically said, screw you to the people. They can wait to get their money. The local states, they can wait. Cities, the firefighters, the cops, they can all wait to get their money until the election's over and Joe Biden is in office because she wasn't willing to compromise from $2 trillion. And she got it. She got it. Everybody had to wait and suffer in the meantime, but she got it. And so now the places that locked down and suffered are essentially getting bailed out as they probably always expected would happen. This is the reality of this bill before us. It showers money on special interests, but spends less than 9% on actually defeating the virus. But it gives San Francisco $600 million, essentially wiping out 92% of their budget deficit. It's tricky because they can't provide services and help people recover from this and get the economy back up if the if their local economy is collapsing. But at the same time, it sort of allowed all of them to play this game as if the economy doesn't matter and is as if they could just shut down businesses and d decrease tax revenue and there would be no consequences. Because I think they knew all along their Democrat buddies back in D.C. would try to bail them out. But the reality is that that money does come from somewhere. It does have an impact. Even if they get bailed out, it's not free money. Where does that money come from? Well, every American is now going to pay more than $5,000. So we can send it to San Francisco and give them 92% of their budget deficit. And I'm a little salty about this because I look at this from a small business perspective. Um, you know, my taxes from 2020 are going to show that I was employed and made a decent income. And now here in 2021, or actually the beginning of 2020 and 2019, which is when they're going to be looking at. And now here in 2021, I'm in a completely different boat. And a lot of people are. And there is some allowances for that, but that's not even clear. But despite all of that, you know what? This thing, it's on the fast track as far as the Democrats are concerned. And it has passed the House. On this vote, the yeas are 220. The nays are 211. The motion is adopted. Section <laughs> a motion... Objection, a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's very, very exciting. And now it's up to the White House to get this right, because there is a lot of pork in there. And people are going to be making hay now going through this thing and pointing out all of the pork. It's one of these one of these things where I feel like we spent the last two weeks discussing Dr. Seuss and the royal family instead of actually discussing what is in America's most expensive bill ever passed. We really screwed the pooch on this one. I mean, not here on the show, but the rest of the political discourse was more than happy to be distracted by these other issues and completely did not give this the attention it deserves. Republicans could have made a campaign out of this thing, but instead now it's on to the White House. Now it means it's really on Biden's administration not to screw this thing up. With today's expected passage of the rescue plan, I can announce that the president will sign the bill uh, at the White House on Friday afternoon. Uh, we spent a lot of time, of course, from the podium talking about the mechanics of how a bill becomes a law. And I know there's lots of interest in what comes next. So once it's passed, the bill text will be rechecked, printed, and signed by the appropriate leaders in the House and Senate. 
The House clerks will then deliver it to the White House for the President's signature. We expect that delivery to happen sometime tomorrow, and then the President will sign it on Friday. We have course- Friday. So it's Wednesday today. He's going to sign it on Friday because, you know, it's so important. Of course, we're moving full speed ahead on the implementation of the bill because we know the American people need help and need it as soon as possible. Um, the way we are also working on uh, looking ahead to implementation. I wanted to make sure you all saw Secretary Yellen's speech before the National League of Cities yesterday, promising to get aid out to state and local governments. Obviously, this is a key component of the package and one that will help keep cops, firefighters, uh, local officials uh, in their jobs. Um, this was the brilliance of what the Democrats did here. It's what Pelosi started to do for a while ago. And, you know, we make fun of Pelosi a lot on the show, but she was she played this like a master. They started by calling it the Heroes Bill. The Heroes Bill. So that way, you know, you wouldn't be against the Heroes Bill, will you? Because we're bailing out our heroes, the firefighters, the cops, the frontline workers who helped us fight COVID. It's a Heroes Bill for $1.9 trillion. That's what we got here. Uh, and we are looking there. They are uh, looking for ways to maximize, of course, the impact of every dollar. Uh, that's exactly what the president did uh, when he served as the point person on the implementation of the Recovery Act in 2009, partnering with mayors, governors and other officials to get help to them quickly and in a way that kept waste, fraud and abuse to ten- two tenths of one percent. So what she's going to try to get to here, and I'm, I'm sorry for the long gen clip because I know it can be rough, is that they're going to appoint like a, a money czar in the White House to oversee this. He knows directly that the, the passage and signing of the bill is just the beginning. Um, and he will uh, he plans to uh, appoint uh, somebody to uh, run point on implementation. I don't have any personnel announcements today, but that will certainly be part of our path moving forward. Of course, got to have a money czar in there. Um, this is great, right? I mean, gosh, how great is this? Because, you know, it's, it totally everybody gets bailed out for the crazy uh, hard lockdowns. And um, even though they were totally ineffectual. Wouldn't that be something? Imagine if they had been effective. But here we are talking about variants now a year in. Uh, so we're going to we're going to get that all wrapped up in this. That's really super nice to see. And, you know, it kind of does lay the groundwork for universal basic income. So that's nice. Right. Get uh, get everybody lubed up for that. Huh? Hello, everybody. Yeah. Universal basic income. This is just a down payment. That's what they're calling it. Just a down payment. Come on, man. We'll see about that. Um, maybe that'd be good. Maybe your unfiltered show will be solar powered and universally incomed, hey? But in the meantime, I would appreciate your support over at patreon.com slash unfilter. I'm even doing it when I'm out here in the woods on a recoup day. But you know, the truth is I like hanging out with you. This is therapy for us, isn't it? You know, we all know what's going on. We all know. It's just you, you can barely you can barely handle it. I just can't. So now we get to hang out together and talk about this because we all see it. We all see it. All right, on with the show. Well, the number one threat to the Biden administration's success isn't COVID. Everybody knows that. No, it's the number one threat to all modern nations. It's violent home extremists or home violent extremists. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the term. But CBS wants everyone to know that the type that are the most dangerous are Christians because they believe in the deep state. The U.S. Capitol was on high alert this week after federal law enforcement received several extremist threats. Officials say there was online chatter by some QAnon conspiracy followers who believed Thursday, March 4th, was the day that former President Trump would come back into power. And while that did not happen, the QAnon movement continues to flourish among certain parts of society. A recent study by the Survey Center on American Life found that white evangelicals are more likely than other Republican factions to believe in conspiracies relating to the deep state, QAnon, and that Antifa was responsible for the Capitol attack. So if you think Antifa was in with the Capitol mix or that there's a deep state, then you're a dangerous Christian white nationalist. (laughs) How about that one? And I, I, what I love about that clip is, A, she says QAnon is still growing, which is ridiculous. QAnon is fading faster than ever now that Trump hasn't taken office. But the other thing is the big threat, the big thing they were all concerned about, the big QAnon threat that they thought was going to happen March 6th, it didn't materialize. It never 
happened, but yet they still shit on the QAnon conspiracy people. So RT had to have some fun because they're watching this. You know, they have the observer's position on RT, and they just laugh at this. Um, they think it's, uh, it's funny, and they released uh, this segment. It is no exaggeration to say that there was serious panic in the lead-up to March 4th. A new threat against the U.S. Capitol, a possible militia plot to storm the Capitol as early as tomorrow. We are- oh, I said the 4th? I said the 6th? I'm sorry, I guess it was the 4th. <laughs> the thing is, you knew, I mean, listening to this, you knew it was never going to happen. And, and So you probably didn't commit the date to memory either, because you, with that whole thing's on lockdown. They've got they've got Natch Guard all over the place. They've got cages around every building. No, no Proud Boys, white nationalist, crazy made up group is going to show up and try to take the Capitol. It was never going to happen. But yet they had scary intelligence. Watching um, the, th- the threat stream, the information, social media, other sources with respect to this particular day. This entire spying apparatus. All the different intelligence agencies that exist, there's what, like 18 of them in the federal government. I mean, you look at the unprecedented access the FBI has, the snitches they have in different discord groups. All of this comes together to just completely fail. When there's a non-event, they overprepare for it. And when there's an actual event, they manage to accidentally not get the intelligence to the right people. Every single damn time. They are a pathetic, laughable joke. And when you see them talking like this, when then nothing ended up happening, you start to realize they have no clue what they're talking about. It is no exaggeration to say that there was serious panic in the lead-up to March 4th. A new threat against the U.S. Capitol, a possible militia plot to storm the Capitol as early as tomorrow. We are watching um, the the threat stream, the information, social media, other sources with respect to this particular day, March 4th. Federal law enforcement is on full alert after warnings from intelligence officials that another attack on the U.S. Capitol could be imminent. Preparations were serious. Hundreds of National Guard patrolling the area. Capitol Police released a statement on Wednesday warning possible plot to breach the Capitol by an unidentified militia group. The local businesses have warned tenants about possible protests. You might have gotten the impression watching media reports that U.S. officials were bracing for the purge. As citizens rush to get home before commencement, we advise you to get off the streets as quickly as possible. It'll soon be a war out there. So what happened when the fateful day finally arrived? Nothing. What does it take to put the U.S. government on edge? Apparently just some lame internet rumors. It all started with QAnon conspiracy theorists on the internet. They said that the inauguration of Joe Biden was a big false flag and that the Pentagon was planning to install Donald Trump on March 4th, the original inauguration date in U.S. history. Well, obviously that did not happen. Now, the main conspiracy theory of QAnon is the idea that a group of satanic blood-drinking pedophiles have seized control of the U.S. government and media apparatus, and that Donald Trump and his allies are waging a heroic, covert war against them behind the scenes. Some have blamed Donald Trump for not denouncing the militia groups and QAnon conspiracy theorists who rally behind him. Yeah, I think President Trump has a responsibility to tell them to stand down. Um, this threat is credible and it's, it's real. QAnon conspiracy theories and delusions aside, Joe Biden won the election. He has been inaugurated. So why is the country still on edge and blaming the former president? There were no violent actions or big protests on March 4th, but law enforcement was on high alert. The whole thing was taken very, very seriously. The department continues to work with all of our law enforcement partners. Based on the intelligence that we have, the department has taken immediate steps to enhance our security posture and staffing for a number of days to include March the 4th. The U.S. House of Representatives even canceled their meeting. Later, Nancy Pelosi insisted that the meeting was not canceled, just moved to an earlier time. If in fact, Listen how uh, brave she there's is. any troublemakers so around yeah and uh, it made sense uh, troublemakers guys i i don't think anybody should take any 
encouragement that because some troublemakers might show up uh, that we changed our whole schedule. No, we just moved it a few hours. There's now a call to extend the National Guard presence around the U.S. Capitol just in case. Internet liberals have decided that a secret Nazi conspiracy has taken over the Republican Party. Their proof? The shape of the stage at CPAC. Apocalyptic scenarios are now starting to become a regular aspect of American political discourse. Yeah, he's not wrong about that. Oh, I bet they're loving this over there <laughs> at RT. Uh, it couldn't make them happier, could it? But what we have here is we have conspiracy theorists about conspiracy theorists. We have people that are conspiracy theorists about what QAnon is up to when they're just like this flailing group online of of people who had strung a narrative together and had managed to build kind of like a culture around it. <laughs> That's all it was. And now that their president, their their lord, hasn't made it back into the office, the whole thing's fizzling out. It reminds me of like an amped up version of Russiagate. But this time they won. And they're still talking about it. And the white nationalists, you know, the whole thing. It's um it's it's an example of how they can take something that is very real that does impact some people and then they can magnify it and zoom in and zoom in like it's a PCR test from, you know, like a 35 pass PCR test. They'll just zoom in on an issue until they're completely, completely tunnel visioned on QAnon and, and, and completely, completely not even noticing around the QAnon discussion is all of the mistrust and rot in the system that led to people following a guy like Trump and a group following QAnon. Like, <laughs> completely miss all of that and then warn, warn you about white nationalists. It's remarkable. Um, in the meantime, though, we may have uh, we may have another QAnon uh, member out there who's going to get arrested soon because the manhunt is officially on for whoever it was that stashed pipe bombs around the DNC and RNC headquarters before the Capitol riots. Diane, good morning. The hunt intensifying for the elusive suspect who planted those bombs at the RNC and DNC headquarters. And Diane, the FBI making it officials. We now know the bombs containing black powder were potentially lethal. A new video gives a detailed timeline for the suspect's movements. Here you see the suspect in a residential neighborhood, only blocks from the Capitol where the riot would take place the next day. Notice how the video, in the video, the suspect is walking with a somewhat odd gait. Twelve minutes later, here's the suspect sitting on a bench at DNC headquarters, where he apparently plants a bomb in one of those bushes. A few minutes later, you see the suspect walking down an alley adjacent to the RNC headquarters, where the second bomb is placed. Dun, dun, dun! So who could it be? So they're going to be following that, no doubt about it. As uh, as they try to get closer to uh, whoever planted those bombs, we'll be hearing more about it. It's going to be like a whole thing that just goes on and on and on forever. So since I'm doing a special woods edition of the show, um, I thought and my solar is actually my sun is beginning to set. So my solar will probably begin to decrease, although the batteries are are doing fine. But I thought we'd do overtime live here in the show. So without further ado, it's overtime time. Overtime's really my chance to just have an excuse to talk about a random collection of clips, stuff that didn't make it in the show. And uh, for my convenience and just for your edification, if you normally only listen to the main show, you're missing out. So for my convenience and your edification, here we go. I'm giving it to you right now. In your face. <laughs> well, really, your ear holes. And we start overtime, as always, with our favorite. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> We're going to start this week with Nancy Pelosi going after Republicans for saying no, but still taking the dough. It was dazzling to see them and the Democratic chairs and members speak up about this important legislation. And thank you, Mr. Chairman, for pointing out the inconsistency on the part of our colleagues across the aisle in complaining about money helping the poorest of poor children in our country while they didn't hesitate to give uh, large amounts of money to the richest people in America in their Republican tax scam. 
your charts were very eloquent, Mr. Chairman. And as to hear our members speak about the terms of this bill, the values that are in it, the plan that it has, why they were voting yes on the bill. And to hear Republicans talk about why they would vote no. It's typical that they vote no and take the dough. Oh, look at her. She's got she's doing bits up there. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's doing bits. And uh, she's she's pretty confident that this one point nine trillion dollar covid stimulus is on poor on par on poor. Aha. Funny, that little slip there is on par with the Affordable Care Act. The 33 years that I have been in Congress and up until now. The Affordable Care Act has been the most consequential legislation that I have been a part of. This is definitely on a par with that, if not to exceed it in terms of its impact on many more uh, poor people in our country. I don't know, man. I got to say so far, the Affordable Care Act has not worked out super well for me. I know I might. Maybe I'm in the minority. I'm not sure. But all of this stuff that they do just keeps screwing small business oh like the lockdowns and then all of the policies afterwards now this stimulus the affordable care act it all just screws small business but uh you know what what do i what do i know we're just like what 80 percent of the employers in the country or something some huge ridiculous number who cares right uh pelosi expects biden's stimulus to be the last as long as the virus stops mutating. In other words, stop asking her this damn question. Mr. Speaker, I think even last fall when the last COVID relief bill passed, you were already talking about having to do another bill in the yes. new administration. Do you think this is the last primarily COVID bill that you'll have to take up? You're just going to have to ask the virus. If it stops mutating, if it stops spreading and therefore mutating, then uh, this will be. And some of the provisions in here uh, that have a, a fuse, like the uh, the expanded tax, the enhanced tax, um, enhanced unemployment insurance benefit that goes until the fall. Just we'll just see where we are then. But it's not anything anybody can predict. It's just a question of the science, and we will have legislation to address it for as long as it's there. Any comments? Can, can, on can I can I ask that a different way? I mean, you've talked about the importance of crushing the virus. That's are you right. confident the provisions in this bill? can do that. Yes, again, it, the the what is interesting about this virus is that it's resourceful. Oh, there's a lot of things that are interesting about this virus. <laughs> How adapted it is to humans is definitely one of them. Uh, and I want to go back to that. So let's talk about let's talk about something that uh, could have the potential to really shift so much of the fundamental data around COVID-19 infections. And this is a really tricky topic to even talk about without sounding loony to, to a lot of people. But the testing has really sucked during this entire pandemic. And we kind of went with this standard old PCR test system that works by magnifying in and in and in. And you can do these cycles to pass and pass and pass through as you analyze a sample. And depending on how many cycles you take, you're almost guaranteed to find something. And we never really have been clear in at least the States at how many cycles a test has. So say you go get COVID tested and uh, you come back positive or negative, but you could say you come back either one. It doesn't say on your test, this was a PCR test with 35 cycles. Because if you got a positive test with 35 cycles, I think you would be completely within your right to ask to be retested again by a different testing methodology. Uh, and uh, it's not just me saying that. This is Dr. Fauci saying that. And I think I want you to I, I guess what I'm trying to say is take in with an open mind what Dr. Fauci is saying here and think about the ramifications. What he is saying could have on, on all of the testing, all of the positive case numbers we've seen. Right. Again, a good question. And what is now sort of uh, evolving into a bit of a standard that if you get a cycle threshold, of 35 or more, that the chances of it being replication competent are minuscule. Mm. So that if somebody, and you know, we do, we have patients, and it's very frustrating for the patients as well as for the physicians. Somebody comes in and they repeat their PCR and it's like 37 cycle threshold. But you never, it, you almost never can culture 
virus from a 37 threshold cycle. So I think if somebody does come in with 37, 38, even 36, you got to say, you know, it's just it's just dead nucleotides, period. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, the thing is, what we have heard is that they're using 35, 36 cycles on average. Right. I don't know. I know it's changed as the as this has all gone on. But early on, it was a lot of cycles in some places never adjusted. All right. That's all. Just wanted to share that with you. I I worry, you know, we talk about we talk about these numbers in such an abstract way, but how they get collected, how people get counted. A lot of that stuff is when you start digging into it, it's a little strange. Let's talk about cybersecurity instead. <laughs> it's time to bring you some of the stories that we call talk at the table this morning. And Tony, you're up first. All right, I'm up first. Uh, I've got a warning about technology this morning. A group of hackers is Ooh, a warning about technology saying that it gained access to the live feeds of around 150,000 different surveillance cameras inside places like hospitals, prisons, schools. And businesses, the hack. Oh, CBS News learns about IP cameras that have been around since the 90s. Hackers say they collected the camera data through a breach of the security startup Vertica. Or, yeah, Vertica. 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 Not so easy to read these tech names out loud, is it? Uh, Excuse me. People know their name now. Uh, One of the hackers (laughs) shared some of the videos with CBS News. uh, And some of their surveillance footage appears to show different sections of Tesla facilities. One image also appears to show prisoners inside the Madison County Jail in Alabama. Oh, man. Did you guys know that some IP cameras are available on the web? And then they bring in their tech expert who uh, is uh, always there to just sort of like play into the scare. It's time to bring you some of the stories that we call talk at the table. Let's bring him right it's time to him. Bring you some, go, 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 go. It's time to bring nope. you some of the stories. Nope. Okay, I guess it won't do it. Um, she just wants to say, let's do that again one more time. What is it, Gail? What is it, Gail? It's time to do what, Gail? What is Five it? Five feeds of around. It's time to bring you some of the stories. Yeah, that we call- Gail. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to bring you some of the stories uh-huh. that we call talk at the table this morning. Oh, Gail, you're so great. All right. Anyway, so th- let's move on because that was just a setup there. This next one is the real meat here because it's not just your government that's worried about cyber attacks, but the CEOs of major companies are worried about it too, including the CEO of MasterCard. He wants cross government, cross industry drills, I guess you could call them. Yeah, Melissa, some real concern here today. This was at a Yale CEO conference uh, that was moderated by Jeffrey Sonnenfeld this morning. A number of CEOs really worried now about where all of this could go if these attacks get worse. And we this saw- is what really keeps them up at night. You know, uh, this, uh, this this cybersecurity threat. Ajay Banga of MasterCard uh, saying that, you know what, when we prepare for these kinds of cyber attacks, we're not really preparing for the worst case scenario, at least the one that he envisions. Here's how he explained it. I think you need to think about the fact that this is not going to be only one sector which will get attacked. When country states come after us, they won't only come after banks or only the FAA. They will do the FAA, the traffic light system and the hospitals on the same day. We- I love how I love how end users think where they're like, yeah, well, if they could hack if they could hack system A, then they could hack system B. And they're not necessarily wrong. There is a possibility, you know, the same they'd be using the same software stack uh, for the lights that they're also using for the air traffic control, uh, maybe. But what we really care about this week is the big, scary Microsoft Exchange attack. And, of course, the financial markets are worried that this might not make Microsoft very attractive for cloud services anymore because we can't trust their security. How much of an impact long term do you think this is going to have on Microsoft versus do you think this changes the dynamic in terms of how corporations think about Microsoft versus think about a Google uh, or think about an AWS kind of kind of situation? Or is this just such an idiosyncratic specific situation? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Unfortunately, I do not think this is an idiosyncratic situation. What's really concerning, what's really, really frightening about this entire situation is... All right, so let's break this down, guys. I got to interrupt her a little bit. So she's going to tell us what is really, really frightening about this situation. You want to know what's really frightening about this exchange hack? She's going to tell you. This. She's an expert. She's been brought on by a television network to tell you what is really, really frightening about this attack. You know, we were talking about this last week where these state-sponsored hackers, they're getting bolder, they're getting more brazen. Yeah, that is scary. They're getting bolder and they're getting more brazen. And now she's going to tell you how they're getting bolder and more brazen. Watch out. It's really scary. Um, To me, what is particularly concerning is the fact that this was publicized. There was a patch put out. And then after that happened, 
there was a pile on and there was additional activity. Listen to how stupid this person is. It was a public announcement about a vulnerability. Patches went out and then people didn't patch their exchange servers. And that is what's so really frightening. And that is how nation state hackers are getting bolder is because now the bastards are taking advantage of publicly known disclosed vulnerabilities that people are not patching for after extended periods of time, and they're getting access to systems. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable. It's so scary. How much of an impact long-term do you think this is going to have on Microsoft versus do you think this changes the dynamic in terms of how corporations think about Microsoft versus think about a Google uh, or think about an AWS kind of kind of situation, or is this just such an idiosyncratic specific situation? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Unfortunately, I do not think this is an idiosyncratic situation. What's really concerning, what's really really frightening about this entire situation is, you know, we were talking about this last week, where these state-sponsored hackers they're getting bolder, they're getting more brazen. Um, to me, what is particularly concerning is the fact that this was publicized, there was a patch put out, and then after that happened, there was a pile-on and there was additional activity. So this is quite literally the easiest kind of attack to prevent. There is nothing simpler in IT security than a vendor-issued patch that you install and it fixes a security problem. There, They, the vendor publicly discloses what the flaw is to the entire world and then issues a patch. And she is taking that and she is framing that as really, really scary and an example of how Russian and Chinese hackers are more emboldened now. I want you to really kind of appreciate like they're taking what is like the most low key kind of security situation and they're making it out to be the most dramatic worst case scenario kind of situation where these state sponsored hackers, they're getting bolder, they're getting more brazen. Um, to me, what is particularly concerning is the fact that this was publicized. There was a patch put out. And then after that happened, there was a pile on and there was additional activity. This is the, um, and, this is and the it's level not entirely clear at all that our governments, that our companies, that Microsoft or any other company or government is actually equipped to handle the fallout. Of so this is the level of discussion and discourse we're at now. This this right here. This is what's happening is this basic analysis that misses the mark completely and just takes every event and spins it as another example of how ninja Russian hackers are. They mean you they would have us start thinking that Oh. Of course. Of course. Russian hackers are the best hackers. Of course. I mean it's just Oh, my God, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because then no actual valuable conversation. All right, I'm going to let her play just a little bit more. Um, to me, what is particularly concerning is the fact that this was publicized. There was a patch put out. And then after that happened, there was a pile on and there was additional activity. Um, and, and it's not entirely clear at all that our governments, that our companies, that Microsoft or any other company or government is actually equipped to handle the fallout uh, from all of this or to even pay sufficient attention to the cybersecurity threats. I mean, you know, the Biden administration has said that they're going to commit another $9 billion to fighting cybersecurity. But think about our defense budget of over $700 billion. Are we really committing sufficient resources? Do we really sufficiently understand the threat? And I'm not That's right. We want to get paid. We got to get paid because we've spent $9 billion so far and we can't even keep ourselves secure from SolarWinds 123 passwords and exchange servers that had patches issued. And we're, we told, obviously, only thing we could do is spend more money. Save me, Biden. Spend more money on this. Your good buddy, Kuman has, uh, I think it's six ladies total now that have accused him of uh, hanky-panky. Tonight, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on damage control after two more women have come forward alleging inappropriate behavior. So this, they could have been all over this guy since the whole COVID thing was happening. You know, 
know, they they positioned him as the anti-Trump, as the left's hero, and now they have to backtrack. It's funny because, like, Al Franken gets kicked out for something that is ten times less bad than this. But Kuhlman, for some reason, it's like, it's ten times worse, and he's not getting kicked out. And you can see how the Democrats kind of play favorites, like with Clinton and with Kuhlman. They're they're like it's 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 hashtag me too unless it's people that are really powerful in our party and then it's well we got to sit back and wait for all the evidence like why 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 is this even being tolerated at this point it all kind of comes back to a total dysfunctional media though doesn't it because the fourth estate could be holding politicians to the fire to get them to answer these questions it can't I'm just some jackass in the woods I can't be the only one that's thought of this the problem is. Our media has collapsed and we didn't realize it. it was collapsed and replaced with a corporate zombie that is now essentially creating media like we create and eat fast food. It's mass produced, mass consumed, and it's bad for you. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to serve, serve our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about the trouble and trying to be responsible. One-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Are you getting it yet? And I I have a pro tip for you. Whenever you hear a news presenter who's presenting in news mode and talks to you like this, this is extremely dangerous for our democracy, then they're full of shit. They're giving you a performance. That's a performance. And you have to wonder why are they performing. It's a real mess. And they are a danger to our democracy. While they shit on social media and new communication platforms that deliver unfettered conversations, as the New York Times puts it, They shit all over us when really they are the ones that are just mass produced and controlled. They are indeed the Borg. So here we are, 50 days, no Biden press conference, and people are starting to notice we're even getting Internet memes. So I'm going to end it on that. Thanks for joining me. Next time I see you, I think I'm going to be back in the studio, but it was awfully fun to do an unfilter from the woods. Thanks for joining me. I want to thank the the, uh, former general, I keep calling him general, my... my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. Will we see more of President Biden? Um, more than 40 Q&As in the last month? Or you will be submitted to more extensive questions, follow-ups, the kind of things we're doing today. Um, will, will we see him regularly? I don't know that you'll see him more than 40 times a month, but I'll have to tell, I'm happy to ask him that question. And I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance, whatever you want me to do. I want to thank the, the, the uh, former general, I keep calling him general, my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there.